Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Yeah. What? Oh, it's the happiest of happy hours it celebrating. Is. It is Sexy Liberal Save the World Tour That's launch right. weekend That's in right. San Francisco. And what are we celebrating with the sexiest of all liberals, Lawrence O'Donnell? Oh, yeah. Lawrence finally ended his our long national nightmare of not speaking. And he told <laughs> fantastic West Wing stories, That's among right. other things, and uh, some Trump trash talking. Oh, those oh. dreamy blue eyes. Uh-huh. And Barb McQuaid. Oh, my God, our legal lady yes. who had, has a great new book out about disinformation and had a lot to say about Alina Haba. Bless, Bless me. you. Thank you. Okay. Enjoy happy hour. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Oh, hi. Good morning, Lawrence. Good morning, Stephanie. And thank you for ending this long, dark night of you <laughs> ghosting me for what is not <laughs> I don't yes. know. It's it's years. Uh, I have lifted begin... the Never Lawrence moratorium on this show. <laughs> let me begin by by thanking you for the tweet that I'm looking at right now that I'm going to press the button and retweet because uh, you're announcing me on your show. You've mm-hmm. been kind enough to use a photograph that looks, oh, uh, well, probably 
at least as old as the last time I was on the show. That which I think is, that which is very kind. It's it's uh, it's a few years old. That photograph and... came from msnbc.com, your bio page. Listen, <laughs> Mister. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I I don't let them use anything. You know, this decade. Um, I have seen you but... and sexually molested you at my house in the last couple of years, and you uh, you need no filter, sir. Can I just say? Well, I, sure. what I do need, uh, as your viewers uh, can see, and. I'm so not used to viewers on radio, but uh, for the your viewers uh, can see what a li- was a little black box of me, because you know it's it, what is it? It's 10:30 uh, here yes. uh, in New York, and my makeup crew works very late at night. <laughs> yes, and they're not up yet. They would have had to come in at five this morning <laughs> to to get me ready. It's longer than Bradley Cooper for. for <laughs> For um, Mesa uh, Maestro. <laughs> yeah. All right, Lawrence. Uh, let's. I, I was. I. I mentioned on the show how I got this booking, the time-honored Hollywood tradition of sucking up. Uh-huh. I emailed you about a month ago because I finally finished watching the entire West, the West Wing, and I. So I said, you know, I wrote you and I said I knew you were a, a fantastic journalist and anchor and executive producer and writer, but I did not know uh, you were such a good actor because you are so cuddly in person and you play a complete uh, bastard person as Jed Bartlett's baby Jed Bartlett's father and I I was like you you were so convincing as a giant bag of D's that I had to write you and tell you (laughs) yeah well you know that um that was one of the days that Hollywood ran out of actors and someone (laughs) someone had to do it and what happened on that is that um I read the part at the table you know because when we have the table read in the Roosevelt room which was the very best table read location in the history of show business uh you know every week that's where we read the scripts yeah you usually you never have all of the guest parts cast already or if you do that guest actor is probably working on something else that day and can't be there for your table read yeah you know all of the actors who you own you know who the show owns they're all going to be there and um so aaron uh aaron sirkin uh who who wrote that asked me to read the the father the the flashback to Jed Bartlett's father when Jed Bartlett's in high school and so I hope uh, twenty years later this is this is not uh, I'm not going to ruin it for too many people um, but as you now know Stephanie the the one of the scenes involves. Uh, hitting the kid you hit so, baby Bartlett yeah. I mean you yeah are a bastard. And, and I know you know this this I just want to put up a kind of um, uh, I don't know what they call it this this um, alert that you have to tell people that you're going to say something that could be oh spoiler alert yeah. yeah yeah well deeply disturbing but yeah so this father as written um, in this script would have been the nicest father in my neighborhood in Boston when I was growing up. Because, <laughs> because if you rerun it, you'll see he only hits the kid once. Now, that was unheard of, okay? By, that was just Thursday the, in Boston. Yeah, by the disciplinarian fathers in my neighborhood, uh, many of whom were cops like my father was. And, uh, you know, that that kid, man, that would, he just would have gotten off so easy. And so, you know, I didn't, do anything uh, as you shouldn't as a, as an actor uh, at the table read. I, I just kind of, you know, I mean, it, it, it's hard to describe. But so afterwards, I knew something had happened when Alice and Janney 
kind of came rushing up to me uh, with Janelle Maloney and both of them saying how scary that was, how scary I was at the table. And and I thought, um, you just, I didn't say this, but I'm sorry, but you're just saying that I'm scary because I wasn't doing anything. And, and the other thing that happened is that the director leaned into Aaron and said, that's what we want, meaning whatever I was doing was what they wanted in that character. So well, they then went out and made offers to uh, Mark Harmon and, and four other actors, all of whom wanted to do it. They couldn't do it because of scheduling. Mark came into the show later as a Secret Service agent uh, yes. for a while. Yeah. Um, but they couldn't do it because of scheduling. It was a day of shooting in Washington. There was two couple of days of shooting at the Warner Brothers lot uh, two weeks later in L.A. And so uh, Tommy Schlamme, the director, called me up the day before they were shooting in Washington for the for this part at like 11 a.m. and said, uh, "Listen, if the next guy turns this down, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to do it." And I, of course, at that point had the Washington flight schedule memorized from L.A. I got and, a hosting uh, job once like that, Lawrence. The producer actually later told me I was actually the last person on the list. Yeah, no, and and, and yeah, and 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 by the way, that's what I want to be. I don't want to take a job away from actors who need the uh, SAG health insurance, and yeah. so. Uh, so I was on the four o'clock uh, flight to Washington, and I was standing up there doing the part the next day. Um, and I had that—I was in that great position of, "Hey, this wasn't my idea." Okay, so like, so if this is a disaster, okay, and if you just have to keep the camera off me the whole time, it wasn't my idea. I did not ask to do this. Terrifying, and, uh, and I because I, when I think of you, the word that comes to mind is cuddly, and I, you were just terrifying and horrible all right so let's move on. by the way by the way if we have 30 seconds for life advice it's the most specialized yes. life advice i have mm -hmm. and it's just for screenwriters well actually it's for directors too and maybe for everybody in show business yes. the only uh, advice i have for television writers or screenwriters uh is take acting classes yeah. um because as a friend of mine said when i was moving to new york i'd written a book and and then I was moving to New York and I uh, from Boston and I I wanted to get into writing for performance and a friend of mine of uh, uh, the great Mark O'Donnell playwright who's not a relative of mine and is no longer with us was giving a playwriting course and I said I want to take your playwriting course and he said oh no you don't need that you know how to write uh, take an acting class mm -hmm. because if you don't you will be trying to write music without ever having touched an instrument. Exactly. Oh, very so, good, Mr. That's, that, that's the end of the life right. advice. You are my favorite carbon-based life form. All right, listen. <laughs> Let's talk. I don't, I don't know if you heard uh, us play uh, Sean Hannity calling your colleague Rachel Maddow a conspiracy theorist, bad journalist, dope. But do you have thoughts? <laughs> well, so uh, I was struck uh, by Sean's... Uh, observations about Rachel's self-awareness um, from the least self-aware person in <laughs> the history of the use of microphones you know John, John Hannity uh, look it's I don't know I mean it it it's that's his business you know that that's what he has to do the one thing I would want to do for him is is just note uh, she doesn't really pronounce the W it's Matto exactly. not right how not the way he says it right. so just kind of drop the w off when you're saying it and you'll you'll be more in the strike zone there you go <laughs> so 
Lord, but I mean, it. let me just yeah. say, as long as we're on the subject and she is my office mate and we share a wall, she's on the other side of my wall. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, so, I, and I'm so deeply respectful of her process that I have to be like a little mouse when she's in her office and every once in a while I will forget that and then in the middle of loud talking realize wait the great one is working silently in the room <laughs> next to me I have to shut up um, she's Thank just God you didn't work next to Edison what are you doing oh now I was about to invent electricity now you, you know, okay. yeah but you know she's one of those people who backstage is just even greater than on stage yeah. and uh, I just I just yeah. love her so much I don't even know how to say it I you know I I take uh, total credit for her success Lawrence we started in radio together and she used to mm -hmm. host the town halls that all all, all of us hosts would do and uh, she used to moderate and uh, she used to have cards with questions from the audience and she was like in Seattle once I the question I'm getting the most is will Stephanie sign my ass after this so I credit <laughs> that moment with her going I gotta get the F out of here I am better than this <laughs> um, you uh, you made her ready for anything <laughs> yes yeah. so Lawrence let's talk about where we are at this moment in time when I watch you and Rachel enjoy the other night after Iowa or any night it is just, I can't imagine in your imagination as a brilliant writer, producer, just, or anchor, that you ever could have envisioned where we are in this moment in time. I mean, I think it was Rachel that said, you know, the, the, we have, yeah, he was way ahead and, you know, right wing polling, but then they say if he gets convicted, you know, they wouldn't vote for him. And as Rachel said, he's going to get convicted. Um, Joy Reid said, uh, what happened if Trump gets the nomination and then the Supreme Court rules he's not eligible to be president or somehow one of the trials happens and he gets convicted? I mean, we've just never seen this many wild cards going into an election year, have we? Well, the big problem is we've never seen this many wild people going into voting booths. Yeah. So I think it's time, it has been time for years now, actually, to to kind of, at least occasionally, get beyond Trump himself to the much more vexing question of why would people vote for this person? You know, and I've always said, look, there is a rational Trump vote. It is the anti-tax vote. If you hate taxes and you hate government um, and, and you're willing to risk the basic, you know, functioning of democratic institutions, um, which most people who hate taxes are willing to do that. They hate it, you know, with it, with a intensity and a singularity similar to the way the people who hate abortion hate abortion. Yeah. And I think those two categories are rational Trump voters. I'm voting for Trump because I hate taxes and I don't care about anything else. Or I'm voting for Trump because I hate abortion and I don't care about anything else. But that doesn't account for most Trump voters, actually. Um, in, and so all of the rest of them um, are voting for Trump voters because, I don't know, they hate us. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. but, but, but they are a dangerous force in America, they're far more dangerous than Donald Trump. Uh, without them, Donald Trump is absolutely nothing. And so, you know, the news media, the big establishment news media has always had this thing. It's implicit. And they used to kind of say it out loud, you know, uh, in the three network era that, you know, the voters are never wrong. 
No, no, no. They can they can be grotesquely wrong. They can be grotesquely racist. Uh, the voters have done horrible things in this country, you know, electing George Wallace, you know, governor mm -hmm. of Alabama and all these cruel, evil segregationists that they elected to the United States Senate and governorships. And so um, the this this, you know, never blame the voters thing is the probably the single biggest <clears throat> inhibition that continues, by the way, right across all of them. I mean, it's it's not it's not different on MSNBC. If you you know you don't hear voters being blamed, you know, uh, for what we have here, um, because of this, yeah, you know, just age old convention uh, in in the major news organizations that you must never do that. New York, the New York Times has never blamed Trump voters for anything. The yeah. only thing the New York Times has ever done is try to find Trump voters in diners and sympathize with them. And um, that's a giant mistake. That's a really giant mistake. And they, they, they never did that uh, when they were covering <clears throat> segregation. Uh, they never went into diners in you know, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, segregated white diners to say to those people, to have sympathetic interviews with those people about why they feel the way they feel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like you and Rachel always talk about. I, I just, the we have normalized so much about Trump that here we are with a 91 felony count rapist. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I yeah. can't even believe we're having this conversation that it, it could in fact uh, have the nuclear codes again, but, you know, talking about the rise of fascism, that we could be sleepwalking into fascism. I have to hope Bruce Springsteen is right. What did he say recently? He said, decent people in this country outnumber Trump supporters by three to one. I mean, I, I, I still, for some reason, feel hopeful. I'm sort of curious how you're feeling right now and what predictions you have. Well, you know, I, I officially stopped predicting uh, in 2015, I think it was, yeah. um, when Donald Trump was at 12% in the polls. And I'll, I will, and I, by the way, I've forgotten most of what I've said in my life, but um, <laughs> I'll never forget sitting there on Morning Joe when Trump went from 6% in the polls to 12% in the polls. And I set, summoned all of the faux authority my voice could muster and said and declared uh, something along the lines of well you don't think he's going to get any higher than that do you and uh and so i've been i was completely wrong you know about in the, your best ted baxter anchor voice yeah exactly yeah I, I, I was totally wrong about about that you know because i and and look <clears throat> here's the reason i was wrong <clears throat> i'm a little embarrassed by this I underestimated the number of stupid people and the number of racist people in America. And I grew up with those people in Boston. Like, I thought I had a handle on exactly, you know, what their troop strength was. It's like, uh -huh. and, and I was, and I was really, really wrong. You know, I thought they were around 30% maximum and they, and, the, and, and even they were strategic enough to say, I'm not going to vote for the clown. I'm going to vote for the guy who can actually beat, you know, the liberal guy. Um, so, so that was my underestimate. I, look at, I, based on what I know about the basic uh, picture out there, I have never, I've, I've thought all along that Joe Biden's going to be reelected. Yeah. Um, you have something like, uh, Fifty-four percent who say they will never vote for Donald Trump under any circumstances. Nobody with a number like that's ever won an election. Yeah. Um, and so, 
Uh, You know, the majority, what Springsteen is absolutely right about, is that the majority and the majority of voters are for Joe Biden uh, over Donald Trump by a decisive margin. The only reason we're having a conversation about this election is the Electoral College. If you take out the Electoral College, everyone goes to sleep at night in a real democracy, not worrying about this presidential election. Lawrence, I'm getting the producer. You're going incredibly long, a sign (laughs) that you're very (laughs) familiar with. I could talk to you forever. Thank God our long national nightmare is over, and you've ended your tantrum and are coming back on the show. (laughs) 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 Hope to talk. Uh, I've been been ghosted by by many, but, but... Never with such sadness as the ghosting. We'll just put our own stories out for the publicity. All right, love you. Thank you, Lawrence. Thank you, Lawrence. All right, see you next time. Bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning, Barb. Go blue. Go blue. <laughs> that was the saddest picture I ever saw of Joyce Vance. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. Against Wasn't her will in Wolverine she wear. Is a, she is a good sport. You know, we bet on the Michigan-Alabama game before the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, loser had to wear the other's merch. And she was, you know, right right after the game, she put it on, put on the hat, got, got out the mug, the whole thing, and looked and the, very, very sad. And the look oh. on her face was exactly the look on my dog Clyde's face this morning when he ate a tea light. She was like... <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh. Okay. Um, Barb, where, where do we even uh, start <laughs> this morning? I was saying to you that I feel like I have to go to law school and I have to hurry before you say pens down and I fail your class because there's a lot yeah. going on uh, legally here. Let, and by the way, it all hinges. This book you've written is so interesting. Attack from Attack from Within, How Disinformation is Sabotaging America. This is such an important book to write right now, Barb, because as we keep saying, all of these lies, when they're meeting the light of a courtroom, right, where you facts, you know, are are, are supposed to rule, they they don't stand up, right? Whether it's the E. Jean Carroll case or Rudy Giuliani or Fox News. I mean, that should be the rule. You can't lie. You can't keep doing deliberate disinformation and pay no price. Yeah, and I'm hopeful that my book will help just open people's eyes to how this game is being played. You know, it's been used by uh, strongmen for centuries, mm-hmm. and there are tactics, and they play on cognitive forces uh, to push us to believe things that are simply not true. But I, I remain hopeful, Stephanie, that court is the place where truth still matters, 
where people are under oath, where fact finders make findings, and you can't get away with you know the kind of word salad that Donald Trump engages in. So yeah. uh, I'm hopeful that he will be held accountable. He's already been held accountable in some instances. You know, the first E. Jean Carroll trial, and that kind of thing. You know, gives me hope that these other trials will also bring justice to Donald Trump and his disinformation game. In addition to being a fantastic lawyer, uh, I know you are a very nice person. How, how bad a lawyer is Alina Haba? If you <laughs> had to, yeah. I mean, has she never been in a courtroom? I don't understand. Yeah, and so, you know, one question I've heard is, is she really that inept or is this all part of Donald Trump's strategy? And I think the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's a little of both. But, um, you know, I think some of it, you know, she's asking all kinds of questions that are irrelevant, but I think it's deliberate. I think a big part of this case is it, it's all just PR strategy. They know they're going to lose. They know they're going to lose big. And so there's a lot of victim blaming going on, a lot of asking really inappropriate questions. I'm sure she knows that. And yeah. she's asking them anyway, because it's all part of the strategy to say the judge silenced us and shut us down and wouldn't let us ask these questions. So, you yeah. know, there are times when she isn't able to answer even a very, ask a very straightforward question. So I think she's a bit inept. But I also think this is part of the strategy is, uh, you know, play dumb and just ask all kinds of inappropriate questions because that will be the news of the day. Well, yeah. And as you basically what you're saying, Barb, it's, it's not a legal strategy. It's a political strategy that mm-hmm. must be as you're, I guess, to defend her from it must be terrible to be his lawyer because you're like, that's not a sound legal strategy. You just want me to do political talking points. Yeah, I think she's obviously made peace with that, that that's the strategy here. Yeah. It's all about preserving his political base, uh, regardless of what comes in court. And, uh, you know, no ethical lawyer would do that. Uh, and yet here we have Lena Haba do that. And I will repeat, no ethical lawyer would do that. Yeah. Let's talk about, you uh, tweeted, uh, Nathan Wade controversy may cause ethical problems for Fonnie Willis, but it has no relevance to the guilt or innocence of Trump and his co-defendants. Um, this just, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, feels like first of all he's got an entire political party as part of his defense team just you know, going after whatever prosecutors i i mean it seems when i've seen her speak about this it, it, this just seems patently unfair you know that, that she paid this guy the same as the other prosecutors but you know they're going to make an issue out of out of everything i suppose um what, yeah. what is your take on that I think this is one of those places where we have to be able to hold two ideas in our heads at the same time mm-hmm. that is we don't know all the facts of Bonnie Willis and Nathan Wade. I note that she has not denied it. And so it sounds like perhaps there is a romantic relationship there. Um, If there is some ethical standard that she violated by failing to disclose an intimate relationship or making improper payments, I've not seen evidence of that yet, that there are improper payments. It sounds like she paid a very good lawyer the very same rate that she pays other people to come in from the outside to help her team and that he is a very prominent lawyer in Georgia. So she may or may not. That's on one hand. Maybe she's got ethical issues here that will be dealt with by the Georgia bar. Yeah. On the other hand, something very different, which is the guilt or innocence of Donald Trump and his co-defendants. Yeah. It has absolutely nothing to do with it. Right. And so this case will proceed to court. None of this information about yeah. whether there is or isn't an improper relationship with uh, a prosecutor will be in front of a jury. No one will hear about it. And jurors will be asked to decide the case based on the evidence against Trump and others. But right. is this an effort to taint the potential jury pool? You bet. Yeah. And all they need is one juror in there to say, I refuse to convict because I think this is all you know, tainted or whatever, yeah. or political witch hunt, whatever it is, and get a hung jury. So um, I think that, again, this is a political crusade to try to dirty up the prosecutor in any way they can 
to try to harm the prosecution. Yeah. Well, so there's a hearing has been set for February 15 to examine these uh, accusations. But yeah, I love, let's put all the prosecutors on trial. Okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's go to the, I mean, obviously the big one, uh, Trump has filed a brief with the U.S. Supreme Court in his attempt to prevent being disqualified from the presidential election. He believes he's immune from prosecution at the 14th Amendment insurrection clause doesn't involve the presidency because he's not an officer of the United States, which I believe is the opposite of what he argued in a Right. Another yeah. case. Not important now. Uh, right. uh, even if President Trump were subject to Section 3, he did not engage in anything that qualifies as an insurrection, the filing reads. Um, I've heard you um, in the uh, liberal loop that I live in. I had uh, Lawrence O'Donnell on yesterday. Then I watched you on Lawrence O'Donnell before I went to sleep, before I get to talk to you about it this morning <laughs> in my liberal bubble. Um, yeah. <laughs> but So I've heard you talk about the Supreme Court before, but talk about this in particular and the Supreme Court yeah, immunity so, stuff um, in general. This issue of the insurrection clause, right? It's on its way to the Supreme Court. Donald Trump filed his brief last night. I think there are some hard issues here. There are questions that have never been answered by anybody. And the Supreme Court is going to answer these questions. On the merits, they have to answer, number one, did Donald Trump engage in insurrection? Was there an insurrection and did he participate in it? Um, I think most of us watching would say yes. But, um, you know, when it was written, it was all about, did you join up for the Confederacy and fight in the Civil War? It applies to any future insurrection. The question is, does this meet that definition? And did uh, Donald Trump's conduct, is that sufficient to have engaged in it? Those are some questions. There's also some question as to whether he is an officer of the United States for those purposes. I I think the answer to that question is absolutely yes. But then there's some other legal questions that I think provide off-ramps for the Supreme Court that they might be very tempted to take. One of them is, this is a question not for the courts but a question for Congress to decide um, whether he did engage in insurrection or um, whether he's eligible. Uh, Congress is allowed to um, uh, uh, eliminate this barrier with a two-thirds vote. Mm -hmm. And so does that mean that it's Congress who has to make this finding? I think that's one area where the Supreme Court make a decision. Donald Trump has a really interesting argument, too, in addition to all of these. One is that... um, Hey, if we're going to be textualists, let's look at the text. It says I can't hold office. It doesn't say I can't run for office. It doesn't say I can't seek office. So it's premature to decide this. So I could run, be elected, and then not until January 20th of 2025 would we say, sorry, not eligible. Um, Maybe that's a technical reading of it, but that would be absurd, right, to say let's have this big election and vote for somebody and elect them who's not eligible to hold the seat. Right. Seems like you ought to know that before you cast your ballot. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Even I would get that right in the blue book. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, Glenn Kirshner, our friend, who you're uh, valiantly filling in for today, uh, who's okay. uh, headed to San Francisco for us, um, he, he was talking about this, these, this truth social post. He said, if Donald Trump is posting something, there's a good chance he's confessing to something. Um, his claim that he's untouchable, even if he were to do things that cross the line, um, it, he said, he, he, this, he literally, Trump said, even events that cross the line must fall under total immunity. This is Donald Trump demanding immunity for himself. Even when Donald Trump is admitting, maybe I stepped a toe over the criminal line, minor violation of some of our nation's law. What's a little light felony between friends? Mm-hmm. Um, if I were a prosecutor, I'd take a government ex- exhibit sticker and go ahead and slap it on Donald Trump's latest omission and keep it in my back pocket. Um, I, obviously, the damages in E.J. and Carroll seem to be going up in real time as he is continuing to defame her on Truth Social in court. I mean, yeah. so what, you know, talk about this whole immunity claim, because it just, again, 
it does seem to get more ridiculous by the day. Yeah. So again, I don't think this has any legal merit to it whatsoever. There is perhaps, as Glenn says, a tacit admission there that he crossed the line. Like, even if I did cross the line, folks, all right, well, did you? Um, <laughs> he also, in that same Truth Social Media uh, post, he says, uh, I should be treated like police officers yeah. and have immunity. He is wrapping himself in the the garb of law and order right. to defeat the rule of law. Yeah. What a warped sentiment this is. And I think he is trying to get those people who support the police, I'm one of them, to say, uh, well, the police get immunity and I should too. But let's step back for a second. The police only get a qualified immunity right. if they're doing their job within the, in good faith, in the scope, and somehow they exceed that. They make a mistake. They search the wrong house, but they believed in good faith that it was the right house. They're... Uh, th then they're protected. But if they exceed the scope, if they shoot an unarmed person yeah. in bad faith, they can be criminally prosecuted. And the same is true of the president. And so it's, it's that, a that's not what he argued. Argument. Right. He said, no, a rogue cop should get total immunity, too. Yeah. Yes. And I think he is trying to wrap himself in that cloak of law and order and turning it on its head. I think he's hoping that his supporters will say, oh, yeah, I support the police. So I should support Donald Trump, too. Yeah, I support the police being beaten with Blue Lives Matter. Violating their, their their duties, right? <laughs> yeah, on January 6th. Um, let's talk about the book quickly before we go. Um, I just thought, uh, this is so perfect the way it's summarized. Uh, McQuaid shows how American society is more polarized than ever before, strategically pushed apart by disinformation. It's endangering our democracy, causing havoc in our electoral system, schools, hospitals, workplaces in our capital. Um uh, you can be sure we'll be seeing a lot more of it in the run-up to the election and as Trump's criminal cases play out. I, You know, I just, we're four years in, Barb. I just got COVID traveling back from a trip over the holidays, even oh, though sorry. I'm fully vaxxed and I'm masked everywhere. Mm -hmm. Everyone else yeah. didn't. And so, you know, you're absolutely right. This is playing out this diff disinformation. It's not just in, about legal stuff. It's about everything, science, facts. Um, yeah. Talk to us about what where the book came from in your uh, in your heart and soul and what you want to. Yeah. So I yeah uh, I teach a course on national security and civil liberties, and I started um, talking about the Mueller investigation into Russian disinformation in 2016 in my class, and I became absolutely fascinated with the topic as I dug into it more and more. What began as a Russian disinformation campaign to harm its adverse uh, you know hostile adversary, the United States has now been co-opted by Americans who are using the same t tactic against us for political gain, but it is having a terrible result on our society. It is harming our democracy. You know, we're just seeing laws passed, making it harder to vote based on a lie that there's election fraud. Yeah. It's harming public safety with vigilante violence, you know, breaking into the home of Nancy Pelosi and threatening to yeah. uh, harm uh, public officials, all these swatting incidents, all that is driven by disinformation. Um, and then finally, the rule of law. You know, we need to resolve our differences in courts. And people like Donald Trump with their disinformation are sowing doubt and harming public confidence in our legal system. All of it is harmful. So I hope to just educate the public and raise awareness of this tool as an effort to sort of arm ourselves against it. And Barbara, it's so important in this book, and not just, you know, the most important election year of our lives, I think, but maybe the last one, you yeah. know, if democracy yeah. falls and <laughs> fascism is, is uh, you know, we sleepwalk into it. Because, you know, all the things you talk about, it's gone going. 
you know, Russian disinformation, they push the anti-vax stuff. They, you know, they funded and trained Hamas. They're pushing any kind of division, you know, among Americans on on all of these issues going into this election year. So it it is critical, I think, uh, that people buy this book. That's the only way to save America is my point. Absolutely. That's my point. (laughs) Thank you. It is attack from within how disinformation is sabotaging America. Barb, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Stephanie. Be well. Hope you recover quickly. And thank you for being old enough to know what a blue book is. (laughs) And what what pens down means. Pens down. (laughs) Thanks, Barb. Thanks a lot. Okay, bye-bye.